0: Blues, royal blue family, you've got Harry, you got Charlie, you got George now, George Hewitt in the midfield, how good are they looking? sweeps a handball forward, can they finish grips from 52 over the top and bounces it through Dockerty, he's almost within range he goes long monstrous
1: G'day, Bluebaggers and welcome to the Blues Footy Podcast. Your host, Jed, here alongside my co-host, Harrison Hymans. Bolt, welcome.
0: G'day, Zoot. How are we? Oh, I'm good, thank you. And and how are you? No, 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 I'm going well. Just, I guess, still recovering from our little trip to New South Wales last week um, to watch our, I guess, rabble of a football club at the moment.
1: Yes. Uh, no, it was... Uh... <laughs> Not a great night at the SCG, it must be said. We are doing this a little bit later than we usually would. Unfortunately, that is because uh, of me, so it is my fault. Apologies. I've been stuck in bed with the flu, but better late than never, as you say. Um, it is Thursday night. It's a good opportunity to do the show a little bit differently to how we usually would, so we'll sort of recap the week that's been, take a look at the team's preview, tomorrow night's clash, and... uh we do have to start with the match that's just been, Bolt, I'm going to let you take it away here. What were your thoughts on the match in general and, yeah, just your initial thoughts after that one?
0: Well, it was an absolute horror show, as in, I, well, to be fair, I actually thought our first quarter was quite good. I thought we played with a bit of dare and a little bit of, I guess, a bit of substance. You know, We had a bit of identity in the first quarter, and I guess the... Well, the main red flag in that was, we're well, still trailing at quarter time. Um, and it just, you know, we only kick three goals after quarter time, which is never going to win you games of footy, especially on the road against, and, and it's just so disappointing, as in against a team which has a lot of really key personnel out, a team that's not travelling too well, and it's a team I don't think great. And, you know, you still lose by four or five goals and just, you know, you can we can talk about, you know, the goal kicking, the field kicking, but it's just a team... We are a team right now that possess very little avenues to goal. We're a team that uses the ball around the ground terribly. And it's just a team bereft of any direction, quite frankly. You know, we never actually really hit the lead after midway through the first quarter on Friday night, last Friday night. And it's just, it's plain and simple. It's it's a team that is just so far off the pace. It's not even funny.
1: Yeah. At the moment, it's it's disappointing. And now, I mean, they face a lot of new challenges with some fresh injuries and I guess you could almost call it an injury crisis with what went down on Friday night. Will you just update everyone, um, lay out the injuries and we've got the team changes in front of us now because obviously we are recording this on Thursday night and, you know, the match tomorrow night. What went down, Bolt, with the injuries and... How, how have they transpired
0: into the team changes? Well, Hewitt obviously went off early with the concussion protocol, so he's obviously instantly ruled out for the Melbourne game this coming weekend. Um, but he'll be right for Essendon, you know. Fingers crossed, his concussion goes to plan. Um, and then obviously we've lost Hollands and Durden. And Durden, we didn't know on the night, but they're both going to be out for the next six to eight weeks with, you know, I guess medium to longer term injuries, which. He's disappointing, as in Durden hadn't been playing very good footy. He's actually had a very poor season. Um, So it might be, you know, obviously injury is very unfortunate, but it might be okay. Just a nice little period in his, you know, second full year of playing in our team to kind of reset a little bit. And the same goes with Hollands, as in Hollands has had a a relatively strong start to his first year. His last month's probably been a little bit off the pace, and I thought he was due for a rest. I thought it probably should have happened after the Western Bulldogs game a couple of weeks back. It didn't. I didn't think it was great man management given we've, our bye week was is still not for another three weeks. I thought he should have been given a week off, but yeah, it's disappointing. He's broken down. He probably loses a bit of momentum now for the rest of his season. And yeah. And then obviously it was obviously found out after the game, Mark Pinnanet's got a fracture in his hands. So he'll miss two weeks. And we saw on the night Newman went down with a hammy and he'll miss the next three games and should be back after the bye. So, and then obviously on the night, you know, Chera was cited for a dangerous tackle and we saw Cripps hobble off with an ankle injury. There's a little bit of weird speculation of Matt Kennedy spending a little bit of time on the bench, but he ended up coming back on, but it was just all over the shop on Friday night. It was just an absolute, it was a zoo.
1: It was, it was. And you were pretty vocal in the stands. I can confirm, Uh, you know, especially when Vossi came on the screens. And I want to ask you about that because there is an element of, um, I think, the entire supporter base right now disgruntled at the current coaching situation, but there's obviously also, and you're hot on this, the players have got to take some of the heat as well. Can you just sort of, I guess, explain your thoughts on talking about Friday night in isolation? Was this a matter of poor coaching? Were the players
0: to, at fault? Was it a bit of both? Um, oh, the th- as, as I think I, the term I've used for the last five or six weeks is just, you know, the issue at Carlton is multi-layered. So you can pin the heat on whoever you want and you're going to make a valid point as in the the players, you know, and the disappointing thing with our players at the moment is our big dogs probably aren't firing as they should be. There's probably right now, 11 weeks into a season. Uh, you know, I think there's only three players who could put their hands on their heart and say they, they're having better years than what they did last year. And I'd say, you know, they're the top three, the best and fairest right now, being Sherrath Newman and Charlie Curnow. Um, so in terms of the growth from our own team internally, it's been very disappointing. But, you know, I, and I, I really do believe, and I'm about to say next, uh, I, I really do believe in the same breath that the players are being let down by the coach, more so than the coach is being let down by the, his players. I think... You know, such an unwillingness to adapt to how teams so easily outplay us is just frightening. You know, there's it, it, just been, you know, t- team selection in terms of not necessarily the personnel we play, but the way we set up that personnel is weird. I think in hindsight, playing Brody Kemp as that second tall key back last weekend um, and playing on Hayden McLean for large chunks of the game was just absolutely just a disgraceful coaching move, really. Uh, I, I just think there's, you know, the whole, the whole, you know, midfield rotation where you've got someone going back, someone going forward. I think, you know, when you look at a Carlton team and you see Sam Ockity starting on a half forward flank and Matt Kennedy stuck in a back pocket, that doesn't sit well with me. It's just more. So we're, 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 we're still going with things that have been proven to be absolute basket cases. So, and I just think the coaching is so ill-directed at the moment. I think it's it's just uninspiring. I just think, I don't think it's going anywhere. And I said it after the Brisbane game, sometimes the best decisions are admitting you made the wrong one. And that's obviously directed at the Carlton board, which is a hot mess at the moment, which has spilled over a little bit this week with Craig... Um, Matheson resigning his position from the board and obviously Sayers has his you own know, issues going on right now as well but it's just it's a mess it's a mess on all fronts right at the moment and you know Wadering's come out and said you know the players have to take that accountability on which of course they 100% do because they're not playing near enough a level but I, I, I really think we're just so easy to play against right now where it's almost impossible to dictate a game in our own terms. And at the the end of the day, that comes from upstairs.
1: Yeah, I can't – I really can't disagree at the moment um, with what you've just said. I think it's an element of coaching. It's an element on the players. Um, But, yeah, there's definitely lots going wrong at the moment. Do you think going into this week's game that there's – you know, we've obviously got a lot of outs, but do you think that we can – turn this around in time and is this week's game winnable at all because the general feeling I think is that it
0: isn't but is there any hope oh as in I'm always happy to be proven wrong but the way we're playing I, I just can't make a case for us right now I actually think we are worse than what a lot of people on the outside think about us you know I hear you know we started last week as favorites going in and like eight of the nine expert tippers from Sen tipped us. I just couldn't understand it. I, I just, I, I actually think you've got to watch Carlton in the flesh to appreciate how bad we are at the moment. It is frightening. And look, I guess the beauty of the Carlton list itself is that you're probably going to always give yourself a sneaky chance in most weeks, which is probably enhancing the agitation amongst the fan base. Cause you never completely rule yourself out of a matchup. But, you know as a realist speaking which i think i am I, I can't really build a case for us this coming friday night but you know sometimes the best things happen when you don't expect them to but i guess with some of the omissions we've got from the side makes life a bit more difficult but you know you know really yeah it, 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 it's 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 going to be tough it's going to be tough
1: yeah I, I i yeah i tend to agree it's going to be tough You know, never say never, but this matchup on paper doesn't look amazing for us. And, yeah, certainly with the way that we've been playing. um, But, yeah, I guess going back to uh, Friday night's game against the Swans, we we probably won't do an individual player analysis this week. We'll do the show a little bit differently given uh, we'll preview the Melbourne game and also, I guess, dissect where we're at at the moment. But uh, on a positive note, I thought Wiedering had one of his better games for the year. Do you feel that uh, – who who can hold their head up high after the
0: game? Yeah, well, Wiedering certainly had definitely, definitely had his best game of the season. He actually had a really shaky first quarter, but he um, completely nullified Franklin thereafter. He was clearly our best player. He, um, yeah, just clearly won his individual battle and, you know, his, his kicking's definitely gone a little bit to the unreliable side this year compared to seasons going by, but he had a really good night. I thought Doherty was really, really good after they made a little bit of a positional switch um, with him after half time. But yeah, as in those two are okay. You know, I thought, I thought Cotrell was pretty good. He had a good, he had a really good first quarter. Um, probably, I think it was you that said he was almost unsighted in the middle stanza of the game. Um, And I think, you know, goal kicking aside, you know, because he did waste three opportunities he probably should have converted, but Charlie Curnow was really good as in he played a really hybrid role. He was almost playing as a winger for most of the game um, just Hmm. to allow space for our skyscrapers up there, um, Herschel and Tommy Deconning. And Curnow played really well, as in bar the fact he probably was very errant in front of goal and, you know, got a lot of the ball, took a lot of marks. But, yeah, they're probably the three to four. Um, I thought Walsh was okay. Um, But, yeah, there wasn't much. I think, you know, some positive glimpses from people like Jordan Boyd I think was quite positive, but there's no one else I can really look at and say, yeah, I loved your game.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I thought Jordan Boyd was actually not bad at all. Um, tough night for him, but I think he actually played quite well. Um, Chincotta comes in this week. What does that, I guess, do to the – well, we'll take a look at the team changes. Have you – Got them in front of you? Yep.
0: Do you want to read them out? Yep. Well, this week it's Chinkotta, Silvani, Lewis Young, Lockie O'Brien, Zach Fisher, for Corey Durden, George Hewitt, Mark Pinnanet, Nick Newman, Ollie Hollins, and then Ed Kerno who was the 23rd man last week, will remain outside the 22. Um, so, yeah, as in, obviously, you've got the threat of Cosy Pickett this coming week, you lose your best shutdown small defender. So whether it's Cincotta or Boyd. I'd assume it's going to be Jordan Boyd that takes the role on Pickett this coming week will be very interesting. Um, Then obviously we've lost our number one Ruckman, Mark Pittenetz and Tom DeConning will naturally become the number one Ruck. Whether they go with Young or Silvani as the second Ruck will be very interesting. You feel like it's going to be Lewis Young, given that Brody Kemp has stayed in the team alongside McGovern. So we should have enough tall, cover um mm-hmm. in the back line this week. Um so I think Lewis Young will be the second ruck, which I think I preferred for those few weeks earlier in the year. I think we look, we you've got to that. have Silvani as somewhat of a mainstay because once Silvani's out of the forward line, there's just absolutely no in-between between our two twin towers and the little people that roam all you know that yeah that that roam the ground you know at their feet. So you almost need that middleman.
1: It's interesting because obviously Silvani and Young got dropped last week and yeah. Young played in the forward line and Silvani played yes. in the back line. Do you think they're now going to come in and switch back? Like It would be very, very interesting, uh, I guess, team selection to send a forward into the reserves to play him back and then bring him straight back into play forward and vice versa with the back going into the reserves to play forward and coming back in to play back. Do you think, yeah, no, like, 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 how how will they manage that?
0: I'm actually very glad you raised that because that completely skipped my mind from last week's reserves game. I haven't given that any bit of thought, but you're right. That would almost be one of the most mind-numbing things for a player to be dropped, sent to a foreign position, and then to be recalled and go back to that original position. I, that is very interesting. Well, maybe Sylvani, well, Melbourne, that they're going to have the resting Ruckman, they're going to have Van Royen, Tom McDonald's out of the side. So they're not overly tall. Maybe Joel Smith will play forward. I know he did that a little bit in preseason. So so maybe Sylvani will play as more of a defender. it's, It's a very interesting proposition. You just feel we're very, very immobile with Lewis Young at full forward you know, in yeah. addition to Kerno and Mackay. They, they, uh, I, I, as in, for the sake of, you know, how I'd like the team to operate, I'd prefer Silvani to be forward, but it, it, it almost, you know, and that would be another question to be raised, you know, if they do revert back to those original positions we're used to seeing them play, as in what was going on in the twos last week?
1: Yeah, well, what was the point of it? I think for me, I'd love to see Silvani back, um and Young back. I, I don't want to see Young anywhere but the back line, but I'd, I'd be interested to see Silvani back as well, but they won't do that because obviously they're not going to play Weeder and Young, Kemp, McGovern, and Silvani down there. No. But in the same breath, they're not going to play Mackay, Kerno, you know, Silvani. And, cool. yeah,
0: yeah, it's... Well, in an idealistic world, you know, how interesting and I think positive would it be if we saw Lewis Young become our number one ruck on Friday night and Tom DeConning drifted to the back line? Well,
1: that would be something that I'd be interested to see. Cause at this point, and I think we've spoken about this, but at this point, I'm just keen to see something different. Like we've been seeing the same thing for so long with the occasional, very minor change. Like I'd be keen to see something drastic like that. Lewis young is 202 centimeters. He can play in the ruck. Is he good enough in the ruck? I'm not sure. We don't know because we haven't seen enough of it, but the DeConning experiment in the back line is something that I, I I think we have to see. We have to see it. I'd be furious if we traded Tom DeConning before we saw him in the back line. If he stays, different story. But if we were to trade him without testing him in the back line first, given how good his brother is there as well, I know that doesn't really mean a whole lot, but uh, it just wouldn't sit well with me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm actually in agreement with that. They're not going to do it because we know they you know you know they don't love thinking too far outside the box. But um, yeah, it was very interesting. You know, and on Tommy DeConning, he obviously came back into the side for the first time since Gather Round on the weekend, so he'd had a five week spell not being in the ones. And I tell you what, I actually thought DeConing to, to was almost our best player to quarter time. I thought he had a very very good first quarter. And then in true Tom DeConing fashion was absolutely nowhere to he – was, he was pretty poor after quarter time, I thought. It was actually quite distressing. Um, he just he just isn't my he, – look, he's not a full forward. And I think there's enough evidence in my mind to suggest he's not a full-time Ruckman. I just find him – that's why I find him so frustrating. And that's why I'm so critical of him because I just don't know where he sits on a full-time permanent basis. And I think we will feel the extent of that not playing this coming weekend, you know, you come up against Grundy and Gorn, and I just think, oh, actually, you know, now that, you know, Lewis Young's definitely going to second ruck tomorrow, given Grundy and Gorn there, they're, they're going to get the big fella in. They're not going to put they, – they couldn't put Silvani up for that, could they? They did last year, I think, didn't uh, they? Yeah, well, with Jackson they did. But um, I don't know, you feel like, feel like it will be Lewis Young back in the ruck. That is my – Pre game prediction in that regard. But hmm. yeah, look, now with pinnanet out for at least the next two weeks, it's a big opportunity for De Conning to stamp himself back into this team. And I'm not too faithful in him doing so. But so I think pinnanet has been going okay. But we'll, I, think, I guess we'll I, have to wait I, and see.
1: I think I agree. Like, I thought De Conning's first half against Sydney was almost, and this is a big call. It's not actually that big of a call, but almost one of his best halves of his career. Like if not probably the best set we've seen of him can like over a half in total, but like the second half, he just faded and just sort of had no impact, Um which was so disappointing because he had the opportunity to really put together a good four quarter game. But yeah, he's got a big opportunity now with Pittenett out. You know, my thoughts on Pittenett. I think he's obviously no one's doubting, his work as a tap ruckman, brilliant tap ruckman, one of the better tap rucks in the comp, really. But him not doing anything around the ground, like you look at him, how the way he moves, he's uh, you know he's so slow and he doesn't really crash packs, and he he just doesn't do anything outside of the ruck contest. So I, I am keen to see Deconning because I think he does have a much better presence around the ground than Pitternet does, and in this day and age and the way that the game's played this year in particular, you can't afford to play a ruck
0: who doesn't do anything around the grounds. Do you not feel like Tom DeConning's got like some... I feel like his around-the-ground presence is very deceptive amongst our fans because he's he's actually not an aerial threat. His marking numbers are disgraceful. You know, he would average, you know, thereabouts one or less contested marks a game. He uh, he's actually never proven to be a consistent outlet option for us around the ground. I I, I really feel like the whole Tom DeConning, you know, field ruckman, you know, label that he's somewhat got is just it's it's a little bit. I find it just wrong. I I, I don't you know and I, and I know that's not very good at it either, but I, I like De Conning's got no substance in either, you know, stoppage presence or aerial presence around the ground. Whereas at least, you know, they can put his hand up and say he's got the stoppage presence. He'll win the hit out. His clearance numbers are pretty good. His contested possession numbers are pretty good. I don't think Tom DeConning could say that. Yeah, but DeConning does do
1: stuff around the ground. Like DeConning last week took a couple nice marks. He, even when he didn't take marks, like he crashed packs, had a couple nice handballs. He doesn't – you don't look at him off the ball and see him literally struggling to jog, whereas, you know, and I know there's a couple of our followers who are tweeting us about it, Pitternet looking at him off the ball, it's not a pretty sight. It's actually
0: quite it a lot, I think. It's not. Tom DeConning averages less than three marks a game across his career. Yeah, but I know, but he's – but you feel
1: like he does way more around the ground than Pitternet does.
0: You know what I'm saying? I feel like it's almost deceptive because he's maybe a bit more agile on his feet. Maybe he's a bit he, more. He gets, he gets to places. Pittenet doesn't. And, like, I just think De but, has so but, much but, more but, but of a but presence. Merely getting, but merely getting to places isn't. <laughs> what's the point? Well, I
1: mean, yeah, like I get what you're saying, but I just think he has that presence. He, he can, you know, De Conning, in the first half last week, he was crashing packs. He was, you know, laying some tackles, a couple nice handballs. Like he was, he wasn't bad. And
0: no, I, I know, thought he had a great first quarter last week. Uh, I agree, his first quarter was brilliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think, and
1: once again, it's not what he's in the team for because he's one of the better tap rucks in the comp. But pitting it around the ground, it's just that bad that. De Conning is a big upgrade, even though he's not even that great himself. But it's yeah, it's a frightening conversation we're having. Really, it is. But, if you, look, but if you look at the, if, options, you look at the
0: if you look at the competitive advantage aspect of that, the 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 perceived upgrade that Tom De Conning is around the ground compared to Mark Pinternet is nowhere near the downgrade which Tom De Conning is compared to Pinternet in terms of stoppage presence.
1: Yeah, I mean, look. DeConning, I don't know what he took last week. He would have taken, you know, probably a couple marks, maybe three or four marks. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Just watching him, you just see more of him around the ground than you do of out. I don't know if that's can just...
0: understand why. But can you understand why I say that it's very deceptive?
1: No, I, and I get your point. And I think as I, I, it goes back to what you said about the competitive advantage. I think you are right. Having the competitive advantage in the hitouts, you could say is, you know, far more important and more beneficial to the team than having a very slight upgrade around the grounds. But I think, you know, we have to see to Conning this week, because this is a big test for him this week, because he's going to have his work seriously cut out for him. I- I'm just yep. interested to see how he goes around the grounds this week because, I don't know, I, I don't I don't necessarily mind him. Like, I don't think he's great, but just, yeah, he just does a few things that Pittenett doesn't do um, around the ground, specifically crashing packs. Even if he doesn't mark it, he'll bring it to ground. But, um, Bolt, as we take a look at, I guess, the game, who stands off the page at Melbourne to you? They've got no Oliver, but who jumps off the page as to who we need to shut down if we're going to win this game?
0: Well, I think off the back of the last two weeks with what we've seen um, occur, I think Jake Lever is a very big one this week. Um, Ooh. You know, our half forward line's been, you know, completely non-existent all season. And, um, you know, Blakey and Darcy Moore have almost put in three-vote games in consecutive weeks against us from the back pocket just in terms of rebounding, intercepting, controlling the game behind the ball. And, you know, Jake Leaver's probably the Melbourne man for that. Um, so I think Jake Leaver's a big one we've probably got to cut out. Obviously, you know, the obvious ones are your Petrarkas and, you know, whatnot. Um, without Newman, you probably fear that, you know, Pickett might be a real threat around goals, which he always is. But um, I, I think they're probably the ones. I, I think those three are the ones I look at and think they're probably our real avenues. And I, I guess it happens to be almost their best player on each line. Um, they're probably your three avenues to stopping the D's as cliche as those names might sound. Is there anyone else you could chuck into that? Um, no I think though well, yeah, those
1: are the big. yeah, it's, it's cliche, but it's true. So I can't disagree with you. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah, it's it's the ruck contest that worries me because that is an area that we've sort of been okay in over the past six weeks, even though we've been losing, we have gone okay in the ruck battles. We've won a lot of them. Like, as you said, Pittenett's won a lot of his battles. Whereas this week without him, how ugly could it get, especially against Gorn and Grundy if we don't win that battle. And, you know, Melbourne are getting first use straight out of the
0: guts. It it could get pretty ugly pretty quickly. Yeah, no, it could. It'll be very interesting. Look, Oliver's a huge out. Oliver's a massive Um, out, mate. He's, they, they don't have an extremely deep midfield. I was gonna you know, say you, look, you know, you look at you then go obviously, you got your Petrarchas and Vineys, but the next men in, you're probably gonna be seeing more of your sparrows and your Neil Bullens. There's a Hunter or a Langdon go into the become a more stoppage player that is Angus Brayshaw go back into the middle. You know, they're gonna have to, I guess, you know, move the magnets around a little bit as well. Yeah, they
1: will. They will. I mean, look, their magnets are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're much they're much uh, more versatile magnets to move around and they've got options. But, um, yeah, I guess, look, before we – because we are we, – we'll do a bit of a, a shorter episode this week and we'll – because we are coming up to the buy as well, Bolt, which means we'll do a mid-season
0: review, but – No, we'll be back in our normal state after this weekend's game. We'll no, no, be back of course, course. we will.
1: No, no, we will, we will. But I, I think just in terms of what I want to speak about now – the state of the football club this week, it's obviously, it's, I think it's fair to say it's been turmoil. Um, Yeah. What are your thoughts on just like all the noise around the club and just what are your thoughts in general right now? Like when you think of Carlton, what comes
0: to mind? I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty loyal fan, but I'm very disenchanted with the club at the moment. I am. I think out of, you know, 20-odd seasons, you know, supporting week in, week out, this has probably been thus far the hardest to take in, really. Um, it's probably been the most frustrating I think I've had to sit through and that obviously comes with the expectation that I think we all rightfully had. I don't think it was, you know, obviously, you know, in retrospect it might be false hope, but I think it was quite realistic to expect greater things from Carlson this year and... um We're obviously a shadow of that. But I think in terms of, you know, what's happening on the board, you know, on the board at the moment where, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think there was a divide that was actually created on the board as soon as that board was initiated when they had to make their first point of business in appointing Voss. I think that was very divisive for a lot of board members. And I I just think the frustrations of those that maybe weren't on board with Michael Voss originally and starting to play out behind the scenes. Um, and whether that's right or wrong, you know, from their end, I guess time will tell. But you know, it's very hard to have a stable footy club when you know the administrators and directors that are guiding the club aren't stable themselves. It's as simple as that. Um, but I guess you
1: know, a, is that yeah. is is it is it naive to think that everyone on the board is going to be on the same page with the coach you bring in? Because like it's me, well, well, they they should they should be they should be. But then there's an issue straight away. Like I I don't think a football club should ever be appointing a coach that doesn't have every single board member on board.
0: Like as in, how can you how can you appoint a new coach to oversee your AFL program at such an integral juncture in our club's history right now, and not be on the same page from the top? As in uh, that that makes very little sense to me. and look, and I think Luke Sayers, he's now had to send an email to club members two weeks in a row. And I know this week's was triggered by the resignation of a board member, but you know the fact that he had to touch on the fact we're going to review the season in its totality um, come end of the year again, you know, I, I think that's almost a hint that they're feeling the pinch and a decision is going to have to be made, you know. Either way, whether, you know, it's almost like Michael Voss' contract until the end of 2024, and Luke Sayers has almost put the pressure on himself and his own board that they're going to have to make a decision whether they keep him or let him go at the end of the year rather than, you know, just letting him see out the natural course of his contract, if that makes sense. There's almost going to be an announcement either way rather than just letting him coach out the contract. So... I think if res- I, I really do think if results go the way they are and we end up finishing, you know, if we lose this week, we're going to be 14th on the ladder come the end of the round, halfway into the season. You know, I think if we stay around this pack of the ladder, I, I think a, a call will be made um, on the coach. But, you know, and I've always been very big on the fact that boards at football clubs have to be more accountable in these decisions. And if you've made the horrible, you know, I guess, decision of appointing the wrong person, you've almost got to go with him.
1: Now, we've got the Ds this week. I think you've yeah. said all year that they definitely won't stack Michael Voss before the end of the season at the absolute earliest point. We've got Melbourne. We've got in the week after, and then we've yeah. got the Gold Coast and then the bye. Yep. Yeah. I've got two questions for you. They're sort of the same. I'll just ask – at what point, so let's say we lose to Melbourne, if we then lose to Essendon, do you think they would sack him? And, and if we, if they don't, do you think they would if we then lost to the Gold Coast as well, going into a bye, yeah. being lost nine or ten, would it be, of our last 11?
0: Yeah. yeah, I think the Gold Coast game could be the tipping point. I think it might be simmering post if we do go on to lose to Essendon, um, and I think... Gold Coast at the M's because the fans aren't, you know, you know how, how it's so tense in the in the stands at the moment. Fans are agitated, you know, the booing, you know, during breaks. People are leaving at three quarter time. You can feel the tension. You can feel the agitation. And I tell you what, I, I'm part of that. You know, I, I'm completely and utterly agitated and frustrated with my football club right now. And I, I do feel like it's going to reach tipping point if they do go on to lose these next three games. All at the MCG before the bye. Whether they sack him or not, I still don't think they will before the season's up. But, you know, hopefully things do change by then because, you know, you almost don't want to, you know, you know you you, you want to see the results turn, which in turn would mean the coach stays, I guess, for the now. You know, you want to see results turn. But I I just think a decision should be made at the end of the year as well. I'm not against that. Mm. But, At the end of the day, you know, if Michael Voss was a player, would you try and delist him? You know, the way he's been performing at his job, you probably would. But, you know, the board put this pressure upon themselves. You know, I think when David Teague was sacked, I don't think anyone was asking, you know, for an imminent return to the finals the year after. I don't think that was on anyone's mind at the end of 2021 and the board put that pressure on themselves, which is, and, you know, And we all understood what happened last year. You know, we had a really good year in terms of growth. We didn't make the finals, but I think we could all handle it. But there wasn't a lot of – there was no wriggle room this year because we had to keep improving. And to improve on ninth, you've got to play finals. So I don't know. I just think there's a lot for the board to answer. I think there's got to have to be a lot of accountability taken from the top up as well. And I think – you know, this is a big three weeks now for a lot of players who are now getting – you know, you look at guys like Fisher O'Brien – Sylvani and Young, who are all complete regulars in the 2022 season, have spent some time in the reserves. And, you know, they're back in the team. It's a big three weeks for guys like them. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, the whole club's almost, you, know, you could say, on edge. There's oh, a right. lot of, Absolutely. you know, reputation. There's a lot of careers and reputations that are going to be lost and won over the next couple months because, you know, I. I'm, you know, we're not, we're not going to play finals this year. I I think just it would have to take some miraculous turn in not even form, but I I honestly think system, it would have to take something. We'll just have to be honestly doctored up in the next couple of weeks to really get this team playing in a way where we're not so easy to play against.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we've got the buy coming up, which helps. Um, yeah, look, it's going to be very interesting, Bolt. We're going to call it there. It's been a quicker episode. It's been a different episode, but uh, yep. we'll do it normal show next week and then obviously, yeah, next few weeks, normal shows and then the mid-season review.
0: Um, anything else? No, well, we'll see how we go Friday night. It's a big test. Going to a team, a very good team that's been a bit out of form as well. So they might be vulnerable. They might be due. They'll probably look at us in the same sense as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be t- – we're going to have our work cut out for us, but, you know, we're staring down the barrel of a five-game losing streak, which, you know, makes things very difficult. Yeah,
1: it certainly does. Bolt, thank you. We'll be back to do a normal show next week. We'll see you at the G tomorrow night. Go Blues. Go
0: Blues. And they will know that they've been playing against the famous old dark Blues.